From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. We're honored that you're joining us today. We had a minor change to our show in the last minute, but we will be covering tax-free 1031 exchanges as promised. The key change, we won't have a guest for this show. The guest we had planned doesn't deal with the broad range of questions that we know you want answered. So your humble host will be covering the topic for you. Now, I don't see the chat window up, and hopefully, Pete, you're hearing me. And uh, you can get that chat window up. If we do have some questions or comments, then we do have that chat window below the radio player. I don't see it up yet, but hopefully uh, that will be coming up shortly. All right. We're continuing our series on the retirement-related topics, and this show is specifically timed for our listeners who, like me, just finished filing company or personal income taxes and aren't 100% satisfied with the amount the government took versus what they got to keep. Now, many people who are probably not listeners to the Wealth DNA Radio Show will consider 1031s, our topic today, as another one of those tax loopholes for the rich. Now, the main reason that they were not aware that they existed, nor how they could take advantage of them, uh, is really why they think of them as loopholes. If they were aware of them, they think it was a great deal. You, as one of our listeners, on the other hand, won't tend to view them as tax loopholes, but merely as another financial tool in your toolkit. And I'm just going to check on that chat window. Pete, just a reminder, if you get that chat window up, I don't see it yet. We've occasionally had trouble with it. But, uh, oh, there it comes. I see it now. Sorry. So it looks like you were ahead of me on that one. But anyway, it is another tool in your toolkit. And, by the way, that knowledge, that N in DNA, is indeed all about knowledge. Knowledge, after all, is power, especially knowledge about investing and taxes. Now, if you were discouraged by the fact that this is a topic in our series on retirement planning, don't be. As you'll learn during the show, the sooner you take advantage of 1031 exchanges, the more benefit you have in deferring or even avoiding taxes. Incidentally, let me share that these tax benefits can accrue throughout your lifetime and even pass on to your heirs. Now, if you still feel you're too young to be thinking about retirement, remember the old adage, if you'd like some shade, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The next best time is today. And where I live in the Phoenix area, most people wish we had more trees, especially in parking lots, ideally trees that were planted 20 years ago. Since we won't have a guest joining us, we should have enough time for you to call in or use the chat window to ask some questions. Or if you are already taking advantage of 1031 exchanges, we'd love to hear your experience. Always helpful for our listeners to hear from live experiences of our uh, other listeners. Now, I have no ambitions of making this show a comprehensive explanation of all tax-free exchanges or even all aspects of 1031 exchanges, but I will share enough so you know where to go to get more information. And what is even more important, you'll know what questions to ask. Now, whether you're on the West Coast or in Arizona where I am and you're sipping a cup of coffee, 
the U.S. East Coast and you're getting ready for lunch, in Europe and just ending your work day, you're somewhere in between or you're listening to the archive of the show, I'm sure you'll be glad you joined us for this hour. Now, on the Wealth DNA Radio Show, we focus on the fundamentals of investing and providing great ideas for building and protecting your wealth. Today is no exception. As we share a way you can defer or even avoid paying taxes on some of your investment gains. I like to share a quote uh, at the beginning, kind of set the tone for the topic. So here is the one for today. Investing should be more like watching paint dry or watching grass grow. If you want excitement, take $800 and go to Las Vegas. Let me repeat that. Investing should be more like watching paint dry or watching grass grow. If you want excitement, take $800 and go to Las Vegas. This quote is from Paul Samuelson, economist and author, including textbooks many of us used in one or more economics courses. Today is April 21st, 5th. I'll try that again. Monday, April 25th, 2016. It's 9.05 a.m. in Arizona, 12.05 on the U.S. East Coast. It's the only day ever like it, so we'll do everything possible to make it a great one. You're listening to the Wealth Media Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. The show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. Now, if you didn't receive a reminder of the show, you should connect with us on Twitter or Facebook where we post reminders. Just connect with The Ronald and put together as a single word, no spaces. Now, we'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area, for helping us put together and share this information with you. Now, I certainly hope you can join us each time we air, but if you miss a show, you can find them in the archive. Just go to wealthdna.us, where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. Now, we welcome your comments and questions during the show, either using the chat window below the radio player, that's usually the most convenient, or you can call in and our producer will share your questions or comments with us at call-in number 917-388-4162. It's also shown at the top of the screen, and after dialing in, you need to dial 1 to reach our producer. Now, since our last show, the U.S. equity markets are up 2% and nearing record highs but they're off to a negative start today. Asia was down overnight. Europe, which just closed, was down, and Brazil is down more than 1.5%. So this is a rare day where all major markets are down. Maybe it's time to consider alternative investments. Now, when we announced this show, we mentioned a 1031 exchange can be more powerful tool than deferring taxes using a traditional 401k or IRA. Now, why would we make such a bold statement? Well, let's start with some of the pros and cons of the traditional IRAs and 401ks so that we can do this contrast. A big positive to them, of course, is that the amount you contribute is tax-deductible, reducing the amount you pay in taxes. Another positive is that we can invest X dollars each year, and of course that amount depends on a number of different factors, but it helps us take take advantage of dollar cost averaging by buying more investment assets when prices are low and fewer when prices are high. Also, any gains on the investments in that account are not taxed when the money remains in the account. The positive often overlooked 
is that we can pick the timing of when we withdraw or convert some of those tax-deferred amounts into a Roth-style account, which of course is tax-free. So we can convert some when our tax rate is low and contribute more when our tax rate is high. And maybe one of the biggest positives we tend to overlook is that money is not lost at the time of death as we might with an annuity or a pension. The account can transfer to a spouse or to our heirs. The disadvantages are mostly the conditions tied to getting these tax benefits. Namely, it is a retirement account, so we can't use that money without paying penalties before we're 59 and a half under the current law, and the deferral doesn't last forever. At 70 and a half, we're required to withdraw a percentage of the assets and pay taxes on the amount withdrawn. And if the account lasts longer than our lifespan, well, we just let our spouse or heirs pay those taxes. The other negatives are related to the maximum amounts we can contribute, and this is where the big contrast with the 1031 exchanges. We need earned income to contribute, but we can only contribute five or $6,000 per year, whatever the maximum is for our plan. You may recall from our recent show with Clint Coons that folks who qualify for setting up a solo 401k, that maximum is pretty high at over $50,000 a year. So the contrast depends on the type and the amount you're contributing. But what if we have gains on investments that are not inside of an IRA or 401k? Let's say you sell your business and have a $1 million gain. That would be taxable. Or if you sell some investment assets or some business assets not in your IRA and you have a $1 million gain, that again would be taxable, right? Well, actually, that's where the 1031 exchange can be extremely beneficial. Now, does deferring or avoiding taxes on a million dollars of gains sound enticing? Well, that's why you're listening to this show on 1031 exchanges. Now, based on that comparison to traditional IRAs and being able to defer or avoid taxes on a very large gain probably sounds like a tax loophole specifically designed for the rich. In reality, the 1031 exchange is a financial tool that allows you to do that. Furthermore, you don't have to be rich to take advantage of it, nor do you have to be an accredited investor. It works just as well with a five, ten, or $20,000 gain, but we'll talk more about those smaller gains later. Before I share more details, we don't want our listeners in other countries to feel like it doesn't apply to them, nor for our listeners in the U.S. to think they're limited to exchanges on property or assets in the U.S. Well, let's talk briefly about how it affects investors not in the U.S. or assets not in the U.S. I certainly don't know all of the details in all situations about investing internationally or non-U.S. investors investing in the U.S. In many cases, though, they can take advantage of the 1031 exchange. The key requirement is that the investor has a liability on U.S. taxes in order to qualify for the 1031 exchange. Now, let me remind you, international tax treaties differ. Each country pair has a different treaty. Some never signed them. 
And even if you're able to defer the U.S. taxes, it doesn't mean that you'll be able to uh, defer the gain or you may actually be taxed on the gain in that other country. So I encourage you to talk to an expert on taxation, especially with those countries, when in doubt or when it's complicated. And by the way, when it crosses national borders, that certainly adds complexity. Been there, done that, and it's been complex. Now, I guess it would be very helpful if I explained what a 1031 exchange is. First, a 1031 refers to the section of the U.S. tax code. Just like 401k or 403b, there are also sections of the U.S. tax code related to those tax-deferred or tax-free retirement accounts. So anytime you want to get the correct answer, you can always read the actual tax code. Now, I can't guarantee it'll be easy to read or self-explanatory, but I'm pretty certain it will help you fall asleep whether at night or during the day. And if your tax advisor doesn't know the details related to your situation, that's where they turn for the answer. The 1031 exchange is officially called a like-kind exchange. And broadly stated, a 1031 exchange is a swap of one business or investment asset for another. Although most swaps are taxable as sales, like a barter would be, if your exchange fits within the Section 1031 rules, you'll have either no tax or limited tax at the time of the exchange. Now, for listeners who remember the U.S. tax treatment for personal residences several decades ago, they provide a great analogy for the 1031 exchange. Now, I'm not saying personal residence is qualified for a 1031 exchange, but the analogy is a good one. Now, I don't remember the exact timing of when the uh, personal residence rule changed since I was living in Europe, but I'm probably not far off if I say it was late 1990s, so about 20 years ago. You say late 1990s was 20 years ago? My, how time flies. Now, the old rules that when you sold your personal residence, you could avoid being taxed on the gain if you bought another residence within a specified amount of time and the value of the new residence was higher than the old one. Now, once you reached an early retirement age, probably 55, you had a one-time exemption. You could avoid paying taxes on that sale or your downsize. This was particularly used for those of us U.S. taxpayers who owned homes during the 70s and 80s when housing prices were rising rapidly, and despite double-digit mortgage rates, by the way. Back then, we certainly never thought we'd see mortgage rates below 4%. So much for forecasting and predicting. It's tough when it's about the future. So, using the old rules on personal residence sales as an analogy, the 1031 exchange allows for a tax-free swap if the new assets you're buying have a price at least as high as the assets you're selling. But this is where I have to reemphasize that the personal residence was merely an analogy to help you understand the principle. Let's go back to what I said about the definition of a 1031 exchange. It's a swap of one business or investment asset for another. And despite what realtors and mortgage brokers often say, your personal residence is not an investment, period. 
and thus does not qualify for a 1031 exchange. Besides, under the current tax rules for the sale of a personal residence, you're probably better off taking advantage of the $250,000 or $500,000 exemption than using a 1031 exchange, even if it were possible. So, what types of investments or assets can a 1031 exchange be used for? As I mentioned, the definition is any business or investment asset. Most of the time I talk to investors about 1031 exchanges, it's related to investment real estate. But if you're running your commercial dry cleaning business, you might want to sell a smaller chemical washer and buy a larger or faster one. If you're running an office furniture distribution and design business, you might want to sell a truck and buy a larger one with a better lift gate. Now, even though the old truck or your old commercial washer may be worth far less than when you bought it, you may still have a taxable gain since you depreciated it below its market value. So in both cases, a 1031 exchange might apply. And my caution here is vehicles are probably the worst example because our, our tax depreciation isn't that far off from the um, devaluation or the you know the, the decrease in market value so vehicles are probably less likely and also one of the reasons that real estate tends to be most common uh, use of 1031 exchanges now I'm guessing it would also be possible to sell a franchise and buy another one in the same or similar industry whether restaurant auto motor repair or any other but is a franchise an asset or is it a licensing agreement I'd check with a lawyer and a CPA on that one. Now, for today's discussion, I'll focus on investment real estate since that's the most common use of 1031 exchanges. And, of course, I'll share some examples and some of the benefits of trading up and deferring those gains. But if you're not investing in real estate, don't leave the show yet. We still have a lot to cover that applies to you. Besides, you might realize that real estate investing might be worthwhile and maybe worth considering. Let me take a quick pause here and remind our listeners you're tuned to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki, and I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. If you miss some prior shows, like the ones in our retirement planning series on Medicare, Social Security changes, or solo 401ks, which I already mentioned, or if you want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive of all past shows on www.wealthdna.us. If you'd like to get an email reminder of the shows, just send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events, or you can follow The Ronald with no spaces on Twitter or Facebook. Let's thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a re residential real estate fund in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area, for helping us put together and share this information with you, and also for helping many of our listeners, including me, have income for life. Now, during the radio show, we welcome you, our listeners, to ask questions. The easiest, of course, is to start a chat in the chat window, and I am keeping an eye on that, even though I'm talking a lot. Or you can call in, 917-388-4162, which is also shown at the top of the screen. But then you'll need to dial 1 to reach our producer. Our topic today is tax-free 1031 exchanges. If you just finish your taxes, tax-free probably sounds pretty enticing. 
Okay. So I'm just reading some minds here, and you're probably wondering if the 1031 exchange is the only tax-free exchange available. Well, if you took those IRS um, tax code or you picked up your copy and you keep reading past the section 1031 the tax code you'd find out there are actually many more types of tax-free exchanges i'll mention a few of them so you can impress your fellow investors or even your cpa who will certainly want to become a listener of the wealth dna radio show when you wow him or her with your knowledge of the tax code by far the most commonly used is indeed the 1031 exchange. And back in 2004, five or six, it even started to be used as a verb. You might hear a soccer mom talking about how they planned a 1031, a rental property into a small apartment complex, and later 1031 into a large apartment complex, or maybe do a condo conversion eventually, thus setting themselves up and their kids for a life of leisure collecting checks while they sip exotic drinks at some fine resort on a private island. Well, that was before the Great Recession. Now, there are also 1032, 1033, 1035, 1036, 1037, 1039, 1040, yeah, just like the tax form, 1041, 1042, and then there's 1043, which deals with conflict of interest rules. Notice there are a few numbers I skipped, if you didn't realize that. 1034 wasn't in there, 1039 wasn't, since they were repealed. In the meantime, yes, tax laws change. I'll mention some of the more useful ones, starting with 1032, which is the tax-free exchange of stock for property. I assume this would apply if you own an LLC which holds a property and you decide you want to take direct ownership of that property. It would be tax-free. A 1038, which is the reacquisition of real property. Now, certainly, if you foreclose on the mortgagor, the buyer of the property from, from you, you wouldn't want to pay taxes when you get that property back if you foreclose, right? A 1041, which is an exchange of assets between spouses and divorce. Ah, Divorces are emotional enough that we don't need the tax man charging us depending on who gets various assets. So 1041 would apply in that case. And most of these documentation is key. Some of them don't require quite as much rigor as the 1031, but again, you'd want to know those details if they apply to you. Well, back to the 1031, our main topic today. How do you actually do a 1031 exchange so it complies with the tax code? Ah, an important question. You use a neutral intermediary, who might be called a 1031 intermediary or a 1031 facilitator or a 1031 accommodator to hold and distribute the funds. For simplicity, I'll just use 1031 intermediary, whatever they call themselves. And very often, especially with real estate, you'll still have a title company, lawyer, or both involved. Make sure the title chain is clear and transfer uh, is properly recorded. But the money, money will pass through that intermediary. You want to avoid the taxation, right? To find such an intermediary, you can use your, use your favorite Internet browser, whether that is Google or Bing, which stands for because it's not Google, 
or Yahoo or whichever your favorite happens to be. Or one of my uh, preferred methods is to check with one of the RIAs, R-E-I-A's, that's the Real Estate Investor uh, Associations in your area, for a recommendation. They certainly know somebody that's good at 1031 exchanges. Now, interestingly, when one of our sponsor's board members was researching the details on 1031 exchanges and these intermediaries, he didn't find any specific licensing requirements. So, at a minimum, I would certainly suggest checking the person or company's reputation with the Better Business Bureau before choosing them. So, it's interesting that they are a qualified intermediary, I think is the, the phrase of in the tax code, and yet qualifications aren't particularly well spelled out, or not well spelled, not spelled out at all. So let's move on. One of the questions you, or at least another listener, is waiting to ask is, what does the like assets stipulation mean to qualify for tax-free exchanges? We talked about it being a tax-free exchange of like assets. Well, Surprisingly, the rules are fairly broad, so it's probably easier for you to mention some that would not be considered like exchanges. First and foremost, if you sell an asset in a foreign country, then buying an asset in the U.S. will not be considered a like exchange, and of course vice versa. Whereas a U.S. territory has been considered acceptable for exchanges with U.S. assets. So, fairly broad definition. Second, from everything I know, a truck used in your business can't be exchanged for a piece of real estate or vice versa. But surprisingly, the definition of assets is fairly broad. So in my earlier example, you may be able to exchange a commercial dryer for a chemical washer. And third, if even if it is a considered a like asset, I'll share one example, which might be selling a developed commercial property and buying land for commercial development. It may still have some tax consequences on the recapture of depreciation. So I would caution you and suggest uh, checking with a specialist on those kinds of unusual or anything that doesn't sound like totally like and I'd also caution you about exchange of residential property for commercial property and trying to qualify that as a 1031 exchange or an office building for a warehouse building. That's where you want to get two professional opinions. And past case history is always helpful, like in this case of U.S. territories. Fortunately, you don't have to be selling a single asset and buying a single asset, even though the broad definition kind of mentioned that. You could sell a single asset and buy multiple properties with a, or multiple assets with a higher price tag, or vice versa. And more good news, most experienced 1031 intermediaries will know these rules and verify the details of your specific transaction with the qualified CPA. By the way, I'm not implying with that statement that some CPAs are not qualified, but they're certainly not all created equal. You would always want to turn to a CPA who focuses on the type of assets you're exchanging. If it's real estate, again, the local Real Estate Investors Association, ARIA, could provide a referral or recommendation. Now, if a 1031 exchange of assets in different countries aren't considered like exchanges, how about 1031 exchanges involving assets in different states? 
Well, the U.S. tax code, frankly, doesn't care what state um, the assets are in. And generally, state taxes follow U.S. tax law, so it should also be exempt from state income tax. That said, there are 50 different states and a number of territories, many of which are having difficulty balancing their budgets. So you'd want to confirm that you're not selling in a state that's a rare exception to the rule, or at least factor in that state tax into your analysis. Why haven't you heard much about 1031 exchanges if even soccer moms were talking about them back in the 2000s? Well, I'm sure the primary reason is that we haven't covered them on the Ralph DNA radio show yet. Okay, I hear a little laughter there. But seriously, there is a more important reason. Believe it or not, tax-free exchanges have actually been around since the 1920s, but later were eliminated and then reinstated. And of course, in the typical U.S. government style, the rules have changed over time. So they may have been around for most of our lifetimes, but at some times they were more popular or more useful than other times. What do I mean? Well, I already mentioned the 1970s and 1980s when inflation was rampant. Tax-free exchanges would have been extremely useful. But when the commercial real estate values crashed along with the savings and loan crisis, these exchanges fell out of favor not because of a change in the tax law, but pure economics. If you're selling a property at a loss, you don't want to use a 1031 exchange. You're better off taking advantage of the tax law immediately. So in these financial crises or decreases in values, or periods when there are decreases in values, you're better off just selling the asset. So you don't hear much about 1031 exchanges. Similarly, in the mid-2000s, when property values were skyrocketing due to banks making loans to anyone who would fog a mirror, anyone, including that soccer mom, could benefit from a 1031 exchange. But when the housing market crashed and commercial real estate declined soon afterwards, very few investors had enough gains to bother with 1031 exchanges. Furthermore, it was a great time to buy, but it was a very difficult time to sell. So investors weren't able to do the exchanges in the required time frame, which I'll talk about shortly. This is part of the reason we didn't cover this topic earlier on the Wealth DNA radio show. Of course, the other reason is there are so many topics we can't cover them all. So uh, 1031 exchanges weren't particularly useful at that time, so we didn't cover them. Today, with real estate prices rising again, most investors have equity in the properties, so we'll probably see an increase in 1031 exchanges. I'll come back to today's situation shortly. Now, as with the benefits available in the complicated U.S. tax code, they come with some complicated rules. So you're probably wondering, what are the specific rules you need to pay attention to? Well, one of the key requirements is that you need to close on the purchase of the replacement asset within 180 days. Now, that doesn't sound very bad. That's a half a year. And a big contrast to a typical barter transaction, which would be taking place generally at the same time, but with commercial properties, or if you're buying a business, 
this this does not put or even a business asset which may take some time to to uh, evaluate uh, to value to evaluate and to to move it may not be a uh, such an easy easy uh, charge and that does put you under time pressure to get the deal closed now if the seller of that asset knows you have a firm deadline it's to their advantage to delay sharing any negative information until the 11th hour and yes i've seen examples which could lead you to a bad decision to avoid paying those taxes my only word of consolation you won't be the first unfortunately the vast majority of people who regret a particular investment decision it was because they made it due to such a deadline. So there's my caution with 180 days. It sounds like a long time, and yet you don't want to share the information that you're doing a 1031 exchange with the seller. They will use it to their advantage. Now, generally, the more difficult time... Well, I guess uh, let, me, let me go back for a second because I just raised a point that I, I, I almost forgot to mention. Notice you can do a 1031 exchange, but it has nothing to do with the seller or the uh, of the asset you're buying or the buyer of the asset you're selling. They don't have to do a 1031 exchange. It's not like a barter. Each of you can tr do a 1031 exchange, which is for your tax purposes. The other can be an independent buyer that's just you know, buying from you, and the other can be a seller who's just selling you an asset. Whether or not they do a 1031 exchange does not affect the fact that you can do a 1031 exchange. So a 1031 exchange to the party involved, and we're talking about you here, not to the people you're buying or selling. You're buying from or selling to. So anyway, back to my train of thought here, or, or a broken train of thought. Generally, the more difficult time frame to meet is to identify the replacement asset within 45 days of the sale. So that's the other requirement. You have to identify the replacement asset within 45 days of the sale. Now, that's another opportunity to overlook some of the warts. And warts, by the way, are the technical term for drawbacks on the assets you tend to buy, asset or assets. And once you identify the asset or assets, you tend to overlook these awards. So you have a lot more time to now do your due diligence, but since you've already identified them, you might have difficulty changing your mind. You might end up paying those taxes and thus overlook the warts. In other words, make those bad business decisions. So these time frames can drive you to make bad decisions. Now, the residential real estate market in the Phoenix area today is difficult for 1031 exchanges. I didn't say they're not possible, and I'm not saying they're not being done. You see, even though asset values have increased and you have a significant benefit to using a 1031 exchange, it's very difficult to find replacement assets with good investment returns. Today, supply is constrained and demand is relatively strong, so asset prices are rising faster than the returns on those assets. So it's easy to sell, but hard to buy. And again, you've got these time frames, 45 days to identify, 180 days to close. This has actually led to a situation that 1031 intermediaries are recommending reverse 1031 exchanges. In essence, in a reverse 1031 exchange, you're buying your replacement asset first. You're holding title with the intermediary, borrowing short-term funds if needed since you haven't sold your asset yet, 
and then putting up your asset for sale after you've already not only identified but actually taken, uh, taken advantage of buying that replacement asset through your intermediary. So you'll have no problem meeting the 45 deadline if you've already identified and effectively took ownership of the type of the current property sale. The drawback, of course, is the cost of short-term money for that, for that transaction where you bought before you sold, and making sure title is held properly proper, uh, prior, excuse me, held properly prior to your property sale. So you can't necessarily take uh, full title, but that doesn't mean you couldn't have closed on the transaction using your intermediary as kind of a uh, true intermediary. So anyway, it is possible, and that's what's happening in a tight supply. Uh, market, just the opposite of what we saw during the Great Recession. So what's a typical scenario of how you might benefit from a 1031 exchange, since I've covered a number of obstacles? Let me continue my example of the soccer mom, and I have no particular reason to pick on soccer moms. It's just one of those phrases that we've adopted over the years. It's kind of the average person who uh, might live in the suburbs, might drive a minivan in the old days, uh, probably not SUV today, um, not necessarily financially astute, but obviously has some assets to be investing. So that's my definition of a soccer mom. Early in that soccer mom's or our investing career, we have limited funds. So we're not likely able to buy a large apartment complex that we might want to eventually own. So we might start out buying a residential rental property, as appreciation is raising the value of the property, we're getting rental income and sheltering some of that income with depreciation. That gives us an opportunity to accumulate more investable funds. So using that property in a 1031 exchange, plus our savings, we can trade up to a multi-unit residential property. And at least in theory, the dollar value of appreciation on the more valuable asset will be more than the appreciation on our earlier asset. And as we continue to accumulate more funds, and we repeat that process, deferring any of the gains along the way. So 20 or 30 years later, we have a property or properties with cash flow that would not have been possible when we started. So thanks at least partially to the 1031 exchange and the tax savings along the way, we can build wealth. So before we continue, in case you just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naranke. And by the way, you can listen to the earlier portion of the archive. I highly recommend it. Or if you miss prior shows, you can find them in the archives, www.wealthdna.us. Wealthdna.us. Our topic is tax-free 1031 exchanges. If you just did your taxes, whether company or personal, tax-free may sound pretty good. Let's also thank our sponsor today, PI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area, for helping us put together and share this information with you. If you just tuned in, you'll want to go back to the beginning of the show soon after we finish. That same link will take you there. Our producers make it pretty easy. The link takes you to the live show and later to the archive show. Same link. Now, you might be wondering, can you depreciate the new asset you bought using a 1031 exchange? Now, the answer I learned from my European friends, and of course, in various languages, it might be C, but, or yeah, but, certainly if the asset is depreciable, 
as most business assets in real estate other than land are, you can depreciate it. But you can only depreciate your cost basis. You can't depreciate the new market value. So let's take a simple example just to make sure this is clear. We started out with a $100,000 property and depreciated it $40,000 while we owned it. So it's down to 60000 in value, right, just to make sure we're clear here. We, uh, cost basis, I should say. We sell that asset for $200,000, so we'd have a taxable gain of $140,000, which is simply the $100,000 uh, of true gain and the $40,000 of uh, depreciation. But we would have that $140,000 gain if we didn't use a 1031 exchange. If instead we exchange it to buy a $300,000 property and thus add another $100,000 to our basis, we can now depreciate the 160000 basis. How did I get that? Well, that was 60000 left on the old asset plus the $100,000 of cash we just paid. So we wouldn't depreciate 300000 we paid for the asset, but we would be able to continue depreciating 160000 Again, the analogy with the personal residence under the old rules is useful for understanding this. You see, in our books and our tax records, we account for things like asset values, the investment we put into it, and accumulated depreciation. We don't account for prices, values, and profits. We may know those, but that's not what's used in the accounting and therefore in the depreciation. Now, this is one of the reasons that it's so attractive to keep trading up, so you continue to have some tax write-offs. But this also could be a reason why an investor would consider selling the property since it no longer brings as much in the way of write-offs. So they've written it off fully, no more tax depreciation, now they're paying more in taxes, why not just go ahead and sell that asset? Well, obviously, taxes. So when is the day of reckoning? When do we have to pay the taxes on all of those deferred gains? Well, in a nutshell, it's when you sell all or a portion of that asset during your lifetime. So, if you fully depreciated your asset and decide it's time to sell, you could have a fairly substantial tax bill. Some of it, uh, some of it is subject to long-term capital gains and doesn't hurt quite as much, but keep in mind all of that depreciation you took in all of the past years would be recaptured at an ordinary tax rate. Are you just saying, ouch, I certainly would? And now, Columbo would have noticed I added the phrase, during your lifetime, which brings us to another tax advantage of investment properties or most investment assets. Or you might want to call it, a, rather than a tax advantage, for the uninformed, we would, talk, uh, we would call it a tax loophole. A loophole for the rich, of course, is what it's usually phrased. If you own that asset throughout your lifetime and you're able to live off the income the asset generates, you can then leave it to your heirs. But unlike an IRA, they will not be liable for taxes. Let me repeat that. But unlike an IRA, they will not be liable for taxes. Hmm, another advantage over IRAs. See, most assets get a step up in basis at the time of death. So that 200-unit apartment complex or shopping plaza that you own, which may have a $0 cost basis, is revalued at the time of your death to the market value. 
your heirs have the property appraised and they can sell it tax-free or hold the asset and start depreciating it all over again. Of course, the massive real estate portfolio your heirs accumulate and depreciate during their lifetime would again get a step up in basis at the time of their death. Unless, of course, the tax laws change. Now, would these tax laws change? Well, it's almost as certain as death and computer failures. So, this sounds all very wonderful. Why don't more investors take advantage of 1031 exchanges? Well, I already admitted to one of the important reasons we haven't covered 1031 exchanges on the Wealth DNA radio show until today. But in all seriousness, there are other practical reasons. Like many people, don't take advantage of investing in businesses or investment properties, so they can't take advantage of 1031s. And very few people know that 1031 exchange exists. And of course, there are the transaction costs. Newsflash, 1031 intermediaries don't work for free. Got that? They don't work for free. And of course, there are the constraints that we talked about, like the uh, the like exchange definition, so you can't change for totally anything you want. You can't exchange for anything you want. Timing rules, the 45 and the 180 days, and the economic cycles we discussed. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense. Property prices are lower than your cost basis, or a very small gain. If we have a normal real estate market, let's say for five or ten years, as opposed to the booms, bust, tight supply, or no demand that we've seen in the past years, we'll see more 1031 exchanges taking place. You have my word for it. Now, you may be wondering if I've ever taken advantage of 1031 exchanges. I'll admit, even though I knew about them, I haven't, or at least not yet. So let me share part of the reason is the economic cycle we've been through, and part of that, uh, part of the answer or the reason is that I focus on a business model that doesn't involve long-term investment in properties. I go ahead and pay the taxes and depreciation recapture at the time of sale and try to buy enough replacement properties to soften the bill. But there's another big reason, and it's an important one to mention, owner financing. Repeat that, owner financing. Have you ever wondered why the owners of an apartment building are more willing to finance the sale of their property than a homeowner would? Well, one way to minimize the impact of a large tax bill when selling a property that's appreciated or heavily depreciated, or both, let me just make sure you heard those words, a property that's appreciated or been heavily depreciated, and if you've owned an apartment complex for a long time, it's both, is you can use an installment sale or owner financing. Now, we've touched on this topic in prior shows, and I take advantage of this strategy often. The installment sale has specific IRS rules for recognizing the gains over time that the principal amount of the sale is paid to you. So if I set up a 20, 25, or 30-year payment plan using an installment sale or owner financing, that taxable gain is spread out over a long period of time rather than being taxable at the time of the sale. And of course, if you've studied, looked at, or even just read through an amortization table any time in the past, 
you realize that at the beginning of that sale, other than your down payment, very little principal is returned in the first 10 years. It's kind of a moderate amount in the next 10 years. On a 30-year amortization, really the vast majority of principal comes back in years 20 to 30. Mañana, as the Spanish might say. So, why don't more homeowners use this approach? Well, if it's been their personal residence, 250000 or 500000 of the gain is exempt from taxes. Besides, how many homeowners know there are tax benefits of installment sales? Probably about 1,000 more than there are listeners of the Wealth DNA radio show. That 1,000 are probably CPAs or tax specialists at the IRS. Now, please don't assume, and this is an important consideration, that carrying a mortgage or deed of trust on the property you sell is the same as an installment sale. I refer to this as the difference between seller financing, where you carry a mortgage or deed of trust, and owner financing, which is, in essence, an installment sale for IRS purposes. Obviously, it's a topic we'll cover in more detail in future shows. We have talked a little bit about it in past shows. If it's a personal residence, it doesn't matter as much. But with an investment property, you'd, bet, you'd uh, better review some of those past shows in our archive of topics and tune in regularly when we talk about this topic. So with investment properties, owner financing versus seller financing is absolutely critical. Very different tax treatment. So am I implying that providing owner financing is an alternative to a 1031 exchange? Well, once again, let me use the words of my European friends, yes. But the 1031 exchange can defer the entire gain, whereas owner financing spreads the gain over a long period of time, like my lifetime. Regular listeners may recall I've used the phrase financial holy grail periodically, and I define that as having income for life. Hopefully today's topic helps you, helps you see that that is possible. And it's also possible to reduce your income taxes while you achieve that holy grail. It just requires developing the right wealth DNA, desire, knowledge, and action. Now, Hopefully that covers most of 1031 exchanges. There are, you know, obviously a lot of factors that we couldn't cover, like the international and, um, uh, you know, the details of all of the tax laws of all of the states. Um, one of, oh, I should probably cover one more thing. My apologies. I should have had this in my notes. So random, random thought, but an important thought. How long do you have to own the property for it to qualify for a 1031 exchange? Well, it's interesting that the case law doesn't uh, really give us a very clear answer, nor does the tax law state that you have to own it for a year. Now, most people will tell you, and even some of the intermediaries have said, that you have to own it for at least a year. So if you're doing fix and flip properties, I can tell you, regardless of how long you hold it, the answer is it doesn't qualify. So it is strictly for investment properties. Properties with your intent is for a long-term hold. Now, if you bought a property and nine months later, and you, or as a rental property, and nine months later you found one that was even better for your purposes and you did that exchange, you would probably be fine. Because your intent was, as an investment property, and you're just trading it in for another investment property, you're probably going to keep for 5, 10, 15, 20, or maybe longer. 
years I'm talking about, not days or months. So intent tends to be more important than the exact length of time. But a rule of thumb is if you're not keeping it for at least a year, uh, I wouldn't even think about a 1031 exchange. So the, the guys that would benefit the most, the fix and flip investors, forget it. It doesn't fit. So one of the best things you can do to minimize the risk of running out of money during your lifetime, well, tune into the Wealth DNA Radio Show every second and fourth Monday of the month. And remember the same wealth, uh, the same DNA framework. Uh, one is wealth DNA, the other you could consider health DNA. That same framework can be used for uh, for improving your health as well as building your wealth. Those same three obstacles, desire, knowledge, and actions, prevent the majority of people becoming wealthy. Are the same obstacles that prevent many from improving their health. Regular listeners know that our objective is to share the fundamentals of investing, provide great ideas for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to help you and one million other people become millionaires. Today's show is an example, probably another good example. Now, I certainly hope Paul Samuelson's quote helps you understand why the 1031 exchange can be helpful in wealth building or achieving the financial holy grail. Wealth building, after all, is a gradual process, not a single big event after spending $20,000 to get the magic formula from some guru. His quote again, investing should be more like watching paint dry or watching grass grow. If you want excitement, take $800 and go to Las Vegas. And the 1031 does not apply. Now, if you missed part of today's show, or if you want to recommend it to some friends, the link in the announcement will take you to the archive version. And, of course, you'll always find the full list of past shows there, www.wealthdna.us. I'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund, the Phoenix Constellar, for helping us put together this show and helping many of our listeners achieve that holy grail. Now, the next Wealth DNA Radio Show will be the second Monday of May. That is Monday, May 9th, and I can't believe that it's already May creeping up. It seems like we've just spent four months doing bureaucracy and the business is about to start. Same place, same time. So that's 9 a.m. Arizona time. Your time depends on your time zone. We'll be talking about 12 Keys to Retirement Planning with Roger Allen Friedman. The full lineup of guests and topics is on WealthDNA.us. You'll find the archive of past shows there, too, as I mentioned. If you have some comments or questions about this show or others, or if you haven't received my emails reminding you of the show, just send an email to ron at WealthDNA.us. And, of course, you always have another minute or so here in the chat window below. Or call our producer. That'd be pretty quick. Um, or just follow the Ronald, as I mentioned, on Facebook or Twitter. No spaces. And we'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Happy investing and taking advantage of 1031 exchanges to reduce your taxes. You've been listening to Success or Failure with Tom Legering and Terry Munther. Success or Failure is a Boomer and the Babe Enterprises radio production. To Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com.
to reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started.